For most people who have any familiarity with Christian faith at all, they'll know that prayer is generally considered a pretty important part of what Christian life is all about. Uh, when you think about the Gospels, oftentimes well, Jesus will say things like, bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. They'll say something like, pray that you do not enter the time of trial. Or he will say things like, when you pray, do not pray like the scribes and Pharisees who make a big deal out of it, but instead pray privately your father. And in passages like today, when Jesus says, when you pray, with the assumption being that you're going to pray. Throughout the entire New Testament, St. Paul in Romans or in 1 Corinthians will say, pray without ceasing, or he'll say, devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer, we know, is one of those important things in Christian life, and yet, at the same time, I think if most of us are honest with ourselves and with each other, we'll realize that prayer doesn't come easy for us. Oftentimes, people who have a, a strong faith and trust in God still find themselves struggling to know how to pray and why praying actually matters very much. Today's gospel lesson is a lesson that's devoted to prayer, where Jesus himself teaches his disciples about prayer, about its importance, and about um, how to do it. I'd like to speak to you today about how we pray in sort of general terms and maybe end with a few practical suggestions. But the two points that I think Jesus is talking about here that help us understand how we pray and how, the right attitude, how to have the right attitude towards prayer is that first of all, Jesus encourages us to be bold and audacious in our prayer. Jesus also encourages us to be humble and trusting in our prayer. These things seem like contradictions, but as I hope to explain Jesus, I think, doesn't see these as contradictions, but instead in his teaching says that these are things that are married together because we are children of the Most High God. So before we get started, let's take a little look at why I say audacious and bold prayer is something that's necessary. Have you ever stopped and considered how strange it is that again and again throughout these scriptures in which we're encouraged to pray, have you ever thought how strange it is that we are being encouraged to pray to the Lord of heaven and earth in a way that suggests he actually is going to listen. And when you think about how the Bible frames who God is, start in Genesis and you'll find a story of God in the very first chapters taking absolute chaos and nothingness and putting a sun in the sky, putting in stars and the moon and, and forming together the landmass so that it separates from the sea and, and giving the, the whole world creatures and breathing life into human beings. This is not some schmuck by the side of the road. This is somebody who is the creator of all things seen and unseen, as high as it possibly can go. And yet if we look at this person who is high above all other things and we're being told again and again, talk to this person and bring your concerns and not only that, bring your concerns and bring your concerns believing that this person actually is going to listen and actually is going to respond in ways that are beneficial to you. Now we pray all the time, we hear about praying all the time that the impact of that oddness I think gets dissipated. But all you need to do to emphasize how odd that is, how strange that is, is to think about how it actually works on earth amongst those who are much farther down in the chain of command. So imagine yourself having a problem with the federal government, let's say. And I'm sure none of you ever have problems with the federal government, right? And so I find my tax form is a little confusing, or they make some kind of mistake in my pension or something. What do I do? I go to speed dial and I say, please get me the prime minister's office. <laughs> and his secretary picks up and says, prime minister's office here. Stephen Silverthorne in Barhaven is phoning and wants to speak to the Prime Minister. Hold my call. I'm speaking with the Ambassador to the United States. You're going to have to wait. 
because Stephen is on the line and I need to deal with this problem right away. Obviously not, right? And it's not even just the, the, the top powers in our nation. If you go further and further down, I have a hard time even speaking to our local city representative, how hard it is to get a, a meeting with the person who represents you on city council. And frankly, how hard sometimes it is even to get a meeting with somebody in the hierarchy of the church. I phone up the bishop's office and he usually has his secretary uh, answer the phone and I can't say, drop everything, bishop, I need to speak to you. It's, well, he's got time three weeks from now. Can I put in a little uh, time in the schedule? And sometimes he's got something more important and his secretary phones and says, I got to bump you to a different date. That's how life works with those who are above us, right? But what is Jesus doing? He is speaking in a way that suggests we are actually allowed and encouraged and told to talk to this person above all other things and this person actually cares to listen. So just the fact that we are praying is something that is a bold and audacious act of faith. I believe you, Jesus, when you tell me that this person is there and will listen to me and actually wants to hear what I have to say. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, pray, put in a request, It's going to go up the chain of command, and when God's got time, he's going to deal with it. He actually uses phrases and terms that suggest not just how odd it is that we can speak to this person high and mighty. He actually frames it in such a way that says, not only should we do this in an obsequious, maybe if you've got time kind of way, but with boldness and also a demanding kind of spirit, which is extremely strange. Listen again with fresh ears to the way that Jesus describes prayer. And and assuming you hadn't heard this before, how would it sound to you? Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Do not bring us to the time of trial. Or, look a little bit further. He gives us the story. Do not bother me. The door's already been locked. My children are with me in bed. You're knocking and knocking. And then what does Jesus say? He says, I tell you, even though we will not give him anything because he's his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. I just read in another translation as I was preparing for this, the English Standard Version, it says, because of his impudence, he will give him what he needs. What is he telling? I mean, think about, again, uh, maybe I do get that meeting with the prime minister, and what do I say? Or my meeting with the bishop? Give me this. Give me this. I want this. No. The harder up the chain it goes, you know, please, your majesty, please, uh, your eminence, please, your grace, if you have time, please have mercy on me. There's a demanding quality that seems totally at odds with the way that we treat people above us. And not just that, the demanding impudence. Like, even if it's not in the middle of the night, like in this passage where I'm running out of a cup of sugar, let's say it's the middle of the afternoon and I've just seen my neighbor go into her house and I knock on the door and say, could I spare a cup of sugar? And she says, get lost, I'm busy. Am I going to keep pounding and pounding and pounding three, four, five times until she finally gives in? No, it's like, well, okay, I'm out of luck. I'm going to have to run down to the max, right, and get a cup of sugar over there. We don't do that when it comes even to our average neighbors. So what is going on when Jesus says, keep on pounding on the door of the Lord, keep on calling on the Lord in the expectation he's going to give you, and keep on calling on this king of heaven and earth? The simple answer about why we are to be audacious and bold comes actually in the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. This is what he says. Father, hallowed be your name. Not King Almighty, Majestic One, not you who sits far off in the clouds, but Father. In Matthew's version, it's our Father, and that's what we usually use when we pray publicly. 
similar version of the same prayer that Jesus teaches on different occasions. What's so profound about the relationship we have with God and why it is that we actually have the right to speak to him, why it is that we have the right to act, to tell him about what we need, why we have the right to be persistent, is because God has chosen to make himself our heavenly parent. When we speak to God as king, he is the king. But we forget sometimes that we are princes and princesses. We are coming to the king not as a lowly peasant who is crawling on his knees to the throne of the almighty king. We are coming as the beloved children of the king saying, Father, I need these things from you. These things are in fact an obligation that God has towards us, not because I've done great things and have earned the right to demand, but because Jesus, God's son, has done great things to come to us, to show us what God is like, to show us the face of the father and say, I have died on the cross to wipe away absolutely everything that stands in the way of you becoming a child of God. The sins that trip us up, the ways that we've been prodigal sons and daughters and wandered far away, the shame that we carry that may prevent us from coming close to God, I have come to bridge that chasm, to take away that shame, to take that burden off of you so that you can be called and not be afraid of being called a son or daughter of God. One of the great uh, little passages in Matthew's gospel is the passage of the resurrection after Jesus is raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene announces, shocked, that the the tomb is empty. And, And then she runs off and tells the disciples about it. And she doesn't know what to think. And maybe somebody's stolen his body. And then she talks to this mysterious stranger. She thinks is the, is the gardener. And the gardener says, Mary. And he, she realizes that this is actually jesus raised from the dead and naturally she clings to him she wants to hold on to him and she says don't cling to me but go to my brothers and tell me that i am ascending to my father and your father jesus wins for us what he has by natural right he wins for us by virtue of adoption we are adopted as god's sons and daughters and that changes the dynamic of everything that means god does have an obligation to us not again as i said because we've earned it but an obligation to us because there is an obligation that comes when you become a parent. So think about little Peyton, who's there in the back doing so well, right? She's nice and quiet and she's super cute, right? But if you think about little Peyton, of course her parents, it doesn't hurt to be cute, right? It's a lot easier to give something when you're cute. But why do her parents feed her? Why do they do things for her and provide her daily needs, even if sometimes she's bratty? It's not because she changes her own diapers, I'm pretty sure. It's not because she never cries at night. You know why it is? Because she is their daughter. They brought her into the world, and as a result, they acknowledge they have a responsibility towards this person who didn't earn it, but I chose to bring you into the world, and I chose to bind myself to you as the father and mother of this child. That is the relationship we have with God. We come with boldness to God, even when later we look back and think, man, that was a dumb request, God. That was something I really didn't need and I shouldn't have asked for. That is how children ask their parents, I need to have dessert. I need to follow the ice cream truck when it comes out in front. I need to go to this party that maybe is a little bit dodgy and I want to go to. All of these things are things you look back and think, no, I didn't really need that. We come without hesitation to our parents because we recognize they are obligated to provide for our needs. And that is what we have with God. 
God is our Father, and Jesus encourages us to pray and to pray again and again and again because we know that we have standing before God to come into his presence and say what we need and to do it without fear. So that's what I mean by boldness and audacity. We come to the throne of God because we say we really believe you, God, when you tell us that you are our heavenly parent and we are your child. But the flip side of that, of course, is what I said about humility and about trust. The reality of it is, is that humility and trust are deeply important to prayer because we also recognize that many times we come into God's presence and say, give us this, and what do we hear from the other side of that door? Crickets, right? There are many times where we come and we say, ask, like Jesus says, and it will be given to you. Seek, and Jesus says you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. But we stand outside and it sounds like we're knocking, 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 and nobody is opening. We're seeking, 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 and we never find. We're asking, 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 and we're not receiving an answer. You know, one of the things that Jesus says here, though, and it's really interesting when you look at how it is that the, um, that the prayer is structured when he tells us that basic prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Yes, it's full of give us, give us, give us, but do you notice how it starts? Notice the progression. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Do you notice how it starts? It doesn't start, give us this day, forgive us, da, 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 and by the way, you're pretty great, God. It's the opposite. Father, hallowed or holy or blessed or, or, or highly esteemed is your name, your kingdom come. Matthew's gospel is more explicit. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You begin this prayer before you ask for anything And it requires the humility for you to say, look, I'm going to ask for lots of things. Before I do, I know that what really is right, what really is the best thing for me, is if your will is done, not mine. You come to God just as you do as you mature as a child. You come to your parent, your mother, to your father and say, I need this. But you also recognize their authority and hopefully their wisdom to know that sometimes when you say, I need this, they will look through because of their experience and their wisdom to say, actually, you don't. And if I were to give this thing to you, it would actually do the very opposite of what you want it to do. It would hurt you very badly. In fact, when, when Jesus says about persistence, part of what that persistence, I think, is all about is recognizing that each time you ask, each time you come into the presence of God saying, I need this, you don't go unchanged. If you come with a vulnerable, open heart, each time you encounter God with an open, trusting, and humble heart, you will find that you start asking for different things than you did when you first started. Do you remember that uh, old song Janis Joplin would sing? I think it was a Chris Christopherson song. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? All my friends have Porsches and I must make amends. I think all of us begin our time in prayer asking for those sorts of things, right? I've got all of these wants. Lord, please let there be a power failure because I got an exam today and I don't feel myself prepared, right? Or Lord, I'm, I'm 15 minutes late for work. Uh, let there be huge traffic so I can blame it on the 417 instead of me sleeping in. If we're really honest, we ask for prayers like that, don't we? And sometimes we kind of know they're silly, but they're also things that we often pray for. But what happens when you keep coming to a parent who loves you, you also begin to realize that when they say no, it's not because they hate your guts. It's not because they don't understand you. It's because they actually know you better than you know yourself. 
You start coming to that parent and trust starts developing when you realize and look back that the things they've given you were in fact the things that you most needed and the things that they said no to were things that really hurt you. It requires a certain humility when you come to pray to say, God, I boldly ask for these things, but I also recognize that I may not be right in asking for these things. And I may need to learn to change my desires and change the things that I ask for. It requires also just trust. Not just the humility to recognize I could be wrong, but to trust that who we are coming to is somebody who truly loves us. Jesus ends this so powerfully. He says, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Daddy, can we have some fish and chips? Ha ha, here's some snake and chips. That's not going to work. Can you boil me an egg? Give me some eggs and bacon. No, but you can have scorpion and bacon. No parent does that sort of thing, right? No decent parent. What does God do? Do we come to God with that same realization that when we're asking? Sometimes, frankly, we ask for things that amounts to a scorpion that would sting us badly, and God says, no, I'm giving you an egg. There are many times where we come to God and what we're challenged to believe, not just that we have the right to come before him, we're also challenged to believe that he has our best interests at heart. So what's the call to prayer? Be bold. When you're wondering, is this an appropriate thing to ask for? Can I really go and say, God, I need this job or I hope this relationship works. I wonder if it's appropriate. Just let it go. Jesus says, come with the things that you believe you need and recognize that your God loves you and he's not going to rebuke you or push you away because you've asked for these things. He is a father. He is a parent who loves you and he will listen to your prayers. He cares about the sparrow that falls from the sky. How much more does he care about us? but also recognize in that boldness that God knows things that you don't. God truly cares for you. You are challenged to trust that this God has your best interest and the best interest of this world at heart. And so come to God realizing that it may very well be that his answer is no, but I've got something better for you that you can't see at the moment. Now I want to end just on a practical note. These are things that are attitudes about the way that we have with God. But I've got to tell you, one of the biggest challenges we have is not just our attitude in coming, our challenge is to actually do it. So many things we find in life that we want to do, we have great uh, desire to maybe work out more or to eat better or to spend more time with our kids or to read more. You know what a huge part of actually accomplishing those things are? It's actually scheduling time to do them. I really should be working out. You know what you need to do when you want to start working out? Take out your smartphone, put in your Google Calendar, work out 6 a.m., whatever. Or maybe a little later, should the case be. <laughs> 10, yeah, that's right. Or there's a tomorrow function. Tomorrow I'm going to work out. But to read. Even something like sermon preparation. I often found, particularly in my last parish where I had a much bigger parish, and well, not much bigger, but more pastoral responsibility, more people in hospital, more... I had to make sure that each week I scheduled not just when I have available, but put each week when I'm going to do sermon preparation. Or to schedule when I'm going to go for a date night with my wife. When am I going to do these things that I actually consider important? It means actually carving out time and doing them. But the other thing, though, is to ask, what is it that works for you? I've often spoken about different ways to pray. But a lot of times, just like it is with working out, finding the right gym or finding the right exercise that works for you, spend the time to actually find ways of praying that work for you. Next week, I'll have in the bulletin, I hope, some of the suggestions that I've printed before. But there's lots of different ways that we can pray. 
Make the time to do it because it'll never happen if you don't. And secondly, take the time to see what works. Pray as you can, not as you can't. And that is something to live by. God loves you. He wants to hear from you, even though he knows before you ask. And he loves giving us good gifts. Keep coming to God and find that you will be satisfied by doing that because you will be reassured that you have not only a kingly, wonderful protector above us, but also a Father in heaven who loves you and loves nothing more than to do what Jesus did, to take his children on his knee and to bless them and to pray for them because he delights in who they are.